So now I would like to introduce you to the host of our segment. Nana Abba Duncan is the host of Fresh Air on CBC Radio 1, 99.1 FM, a top-rated weekend morning program in Ontario. She is also the creator of Media Girlfriends, a podcast supporting and amplifying the perspectives of diverse women who work in the media. Nana Abba was born in Accra, Ghana, raised in Newmarket, Ontario, and has lived in Toronto since getting her master's in journalism at the University of Western Ontario. She worked as a country director with Journalists for Human Rights in Ghana before moving on to the CBC. So please give me a hand on welcoming Nana Abba. Thank you. Now, I'm really good at talking for a very long time, so Salika, I hope you'll be able to tell me when we have to move on to the next two, okay? <laughs> All right. All right, so welcome to Hello Neighbor. Today's event is a project that Diaspora Dialogues came up with. They asked, I think this is so fun, they asked residents of Toronto to send in an artistic piece about a neighborhood or a building or an aspect about the city that they enjoyed. And then and you'll see these pieces in the programs that you've got. Um, and some of the residents might be in the audience right now. Once the pieces were selected, then six writers were asked to choose a piece that spoke to them and then they created their own writing based on that. So after I introduce the writers, uh, they will both have five minutes to read their work, and then we'll have a discussion for about 25 minutes, and then we'll have about five minutes for any questions that you might have. So I will first introduce E.B. E.B. Kaslik. Uh, she's an internationally published novelist, a freelance writer, editor, and teacher, and her most recent novel, The Angel Riots, is a rock and roll comic tragedy and was nominated for the Trillium Award in 2009. Her first novel, Skinny, was a New, New York Times bestseller. Uh, it's been published in a number of countries. Uh, E.B. teaches creative writing at the University of Toronto School of Continuing Studies, and she works as an arts educator. She's helped to write, mentor, and publish award-winning books for Inhabit Media, which is an independent Arctic publisher based in Iqaluit and Toronto, and sometimes she travels to the prairies and the Arctic from time to time. Hi, Nana. Yes, thank you. Um, Donna Michelle, St. Bernard, aka Belladonna the Blessed, is an MC, a playwright, administrator, and agitator. She works for the stage, including Sound of the Beast, Cake, A Man, A Fish, Salome's Clothes, and Gas Girls. She's a coordinator with the Ad Hoc Assembly, artistic director of New Harlem Productions, and former general manager of Native Earth Performing Arts. Her work has been recognized with many nominations, including the Governor General's Award, Herman Voden, Award, the Dora Maver Moore Award. Uh, she is co-editor with Yvette Nolan of the Playwrights Canada Press Anthology, Refraction Solo and Refraction Scenes, and editor of Indian Act. She's currently an MC in residence at Theatre Passmarai and playwright in residence at Lemon Tree Creations. Let's give a hand to both of these artists. Thank you for coming here. So, uh, Ebi, we're gonna start with you, with, with your piece. Uh, Anna Brown's here. So I was uh, planning to read her piece anyway without her permission, but now it's great because she's here and I got her permission. So I'll just read the piece first and then I'll talk a little briefly about the process. Here we go. I live on Beach Avenue and I have to leave extra time to walk down to the Fox Theater on Queen Street at the bottom of the hill. Here's why. My neighbor Karen is whizzing a wheelchair by at a fast clip with her mother in it, and they stop to say hello and goodbye. And then that old guy, Renee, as always in his bedroom slippers, puts out a hand behind his hip to warn me to stop because a fox is out on early assignment, and we wait until its tail disappears like that. 
down into the steep, bushy slope. And then Fajal says hello, and we talk about the latest challenge to preserving the Balsam Avenue ravine. And then I'm trailing a sweet old hippie who has been smoking a joint on her way to the movies every time I've hurried down the hill since I moved here 30 years ago. Only now it's legal, I think. And there's a manager of the Fox talking to my postal worker neighbor, Jerry. And all of these, with the exception of that all-business Fox, are lined up in front of me for hot popcorn and say, hi, neighbor. So what I did was I, um, I'm actually from the West End, and I grew up in the West End of Toronto. Um, and this piece is set in the East End of Toronto. Um, so what I did was I, what I liked about this piece is, I, is just, you know, the, the moments that you have in this city and the stories and the interactions. Um, so I wrote a series of tanka and haiku uh, based on different neighborhoods um, and structures and stories about Torontonians. And I tried to incorporate the sense of, um, small snapshot narratives that was in Hannah's piece. Um, yeah. Christy Pitts. Splintered bench flooded, broken cigarettes and teeth, filter popcorn smiles. Rankin Crescent. Empty eastbound Dundas West, northbound Barry Go, martini glasses chime. Royal York, for 30 years, Fox changes the Kingsway marquee, spliced reels for licorice whips. 401 Rescue, he says, the only female tow truck, tow truck driver jumps the divide, misjudges, sudden ravine slope death. Kimchi, Koreatown meat, marbled, naked as nerves, Sunshine yokes bleeding. Brutalist architecture. We fall asleep. Robart's backstacks. 13th floor ghost wakes. Scaramouche. Back and forth on egg west, blizzard foils, competing bisque and venison. West end gutter bands thaw and sneer away. The ice between grit and surface sugaring away dead skin margins. Humber River. Skipping rocks below, bridge slats we splinter on our knees, shale mixed with dog teeth. Ilona in spring. Home is this puddle, chambered toes prehensile, whiz within gilled wombs waiting. Thank you. Thank you, Evie. Don Michelle, St. Bernard. Hi. <laughs> I don't think that we've met, but um, nice to meet you. I'm Donna Michelle. I um, worked off of a piece by Mayank Bot, and uh, the piece was called Weston. Um, I'm not going to read it. I am going to respond. Here goes that. I awake abruptly, but enter the world eventually. First, I am awake. I am alive. Then, these are my arms and legs. With just the slightest effort, I can make them twitch. An hour from now, they'll move about freely, unremarkably, but for now, they are all. 
and my entire power is to make them twitch, a confirmation of life. Then, these smooth gray walls rising away from me, slightly curving toward the place where they cover me over, curving downward again a few feet away, down that wall to juncture with floor across floor to my bed up, my hand twitching, clenched around a handful of sheet. I release. The crushed fabric blossoms out, lines still echoing traces of the bud that recently released it. By the time my eyes have made this circuit of room, I am released from the bud of sleep to blossom into the day. I stand at my window, calculating the balance of waking hours against tasks to complete. We sometimes joke about street level, but no one we know has been below the 35th floor in years. We are truly an upwardly mobile people. The clouds below throw light back at me facetiously, as if to suggest that my days are without limit. They are not. I'm reminded by the soft blue wall light blinking a summons. I'll go in a minute. Session log 264. Saturday mornings. My time. A sense of belonging to this stretch of road, west the river, east the railway line. Muhammad at the pharmacy, other Muhammad at the laundry, Frank and Katerina at the grill, Somalia, Afghanistan, Mumbai, and Greece along this stretch of road that it is ours. End session. Gare wants to speak with me privately. This kind of duoting is rare. As often as we have shared in each other's thoughts, feelings, dreams, it still feels unnatural to be in private physical spaces of my flatmates, Selly or crew, or much less our stern fourth, Gare. I pass through our shared space, running my palms along ribbed yellow walls, chosen by consensus. Gare's door was immediately to my left, but I turned right, and I circle the whole room before opening the door. They are coming to the end of a respirate program when I enter, so I lower myself quietly to the couch. My hand absently reaches out for the cushion beside me as I wait for them to finish a last long exhale. This is the best and least impolite chance to study their face. Angular, but not unkind, shadowed around the eyes. Their eyes open, take note of me. Their hand reaches out to gently extract the cushion from my grip, smoothing away new-made ridges, obliterating temporary topography, seeming to transmit the creases up their arm as lines removed from the fabric reappear, reappear on their forehead. The expression lasts only seconds and is banished to oblivion. We greet each other well, Gare says. There is unease in the flat. There is concern that you are too tactile. I've noticed it myself, although I speak now for others. Are you troubled in any way? I shake my head, send a twitch to my wrist to arrest its impulse towards that cushion. We let it lie. Speaking instead about our household garden, the new green shoots now visible in pots marked for sage, leek, and onion, the strange sheen on the new protein cultures that Sally is cultivating. We discuss whether shallots or mushrooms best complement, agree, or omelet. We smooth away the topography of tension before disengaging from each other and part well. The hardest part of a duoting is knowing when the other party wants to disengage. As well as we know each other, such things are still impossible to sense with any certainty. Session log 269. They make the best omelets here. Everyone tries to make you feel that you're part of their family. They really seem glad to see us, us in particular, as if it has always been too long. End session. Gare has seen the comm logs. Anyone can access them, but rarely does anyone bother since our time is not rationed. There is unease. It is growing. 
Care says, we note that you have logged an uncommon number of hours online. Are you aware? Are you aware? This is an otherwise immense question, which in this instant makes itself finite. Am I aware of the many hours I have logged? I am. I nod and dis disregard the more abstract implication. Am I aware? Oh. Gare continues. It is not recommended to spend this much time logged in alone. You risk becoming isolated, detached. Will you spend time with us now? I nod. No one wants to be the cause of unease. Gare invites our flatmates, and together we all sit at a comm unit, each of us fitting a headpiece over eyes and ears, our backs cradled by familiar molded seats. The calm brings us together. As flatmates and something greater, together we bind. Jointly we wander. Individually we know and are known in a deeper way. Whether to field or shore, village or metropolis, the direction is a product of collective will. The destination is less important than our choice to be together. Tonight, we lay on a benighted plain, bodies tilted back until there is nothing else with us but stars piercing purple black sky. They like it. I do too. It is good. We all agree we are all pleased to be here. We are fragments and we are whole. Together we sip from distant lights, leaving behind as much as we found there, but going away with more. There is something more that I need that the others do not. And I wonder where they seek out the doubtless many things that they need outside of our unit. Jointly we disengage, then share a meal together. I wonder what they will think of my long nights walking without them. Session log 272. We walk beside the gurgling waters, wooden stairs to riverbed, rapidly shedding leaves, a shield of clouds, surreal and psychedelic hues. End session. Gare's not wrong. I log in at night, though there is no need to hide. I'm free to do as I please, but if anyone asked, I could not explain what pleased me. What happens in the comm unit is neither occupation nor manipulation, but a way to go with, as they put it. We are four individuals who choose to offer ourselves to each other, to inhabit a shared attunement. Unlike any other connection on earth, our unit of four is close enough to intuitively guard each other's privacy, to go where we are invited and never further. But this other way of going with has me engrossed. Somehow I have made a connection as intimate as that with my flatmates. As generously offered, I stay up later and later each night, taking in sights and smells, its people and my ability to connect with them, the host of my journey who I have never yet met and yet who guides me. Is this isolation? Session log 288. Early 20th century wood, stained glass windows, feels home. These are the walls that held first vote, warm welcome, worlds upon worlds. End session. I've seen enough of this world to belong to it, to enfold it into fabric of myself, or at least this version of it that I've received through the lens of my host. It is enough of home that it has birthed in me a new need to bring my flatmates to this place and let them be pleased by it for their own reasons, to take from it while leaving it no less for me and others. Crew will want to duck down that alley, Selly to linger on the corner among the gathering of elders listening. I let this thought blossom and it is good. Session log 301. In this place where I have been welcomed, I find my own belief on the shelf, side by each with Besmogis, Billington, feeling known, end session. 
I disengage. The cover of the book in my hands looks back at me, a man tense and determined, a man of fragments made whole. I run my fingers over the surface, belief, giving silent thanks for the invitation to go with. I return the book to its place on my shelf between the betrayers and perfect happiness. I unfold myself back into bed, eyes tracing circuit backwards from hand across floor to wall, to ceiling to wall, curving gently down towards me like the inside of a wave. In the morning, I will share this with Sally, Crew, and Gare. My hand twitches, shoots out to the table beside my bed. I retrieve my pen and notebook. I begin to inscribe my own invitation. Thank you for coming. End of session. Thank you, Donna Michelle. So I'm going to start with you, Evie. Um, before you actually got into your piece, you talked about how there are moments that you kind of like in, in life or that we, that we all sort of grab onto when it comes to the city. Uh, what moment in Hannah's piece jumped out at you? I guess the connection I made was the Fox uh, movie theater. So I used to actually work at the Kingsway. Oh. So it's the counterpoint. Mm -hmm. So I guess it was sort of like bizarro world, like West End, East End, and I have all these jokes in my head about the West End and East End. Anyway. You can tell any uh, of them if you like. <laughs> anyway, and so... I remember I had memories. One of the parts of my job was to change the the marquee signs and stuff like that. Mm. So I mean, which was like a weird job for a teenager with not very good safety, <laughs> you know. In the I won't say what decade it was, but you know that was sort of a weird job. Yeah. So the theater, like what, like I know that walk, even though it's the. East End, you know, you know that walk to the to the Review Cinema mm -hmm. in Toronto. Like the Review is such a, those Review Cinemas are such a like, anchoring Toronto, you know, icon, I guess. Mm -hmm. So when you think about places of Toronto or pieces of Toronto that capture you, do they also include theaters? I mean, do you share some of that same kind of thinking? Yeah. Because you have worked with the Kingsway? Theaters and also, so this is a funny project that I'm doing, but it's, um, I so I teach at U of T, and uh, U of T actually um, has the second largest uh, university library system, second only to Yale, which not a lot of people know. Mm. And downtown on the campus, there's about 20 uh, libraries that you can access. So one of the things I want to do, and if anyone's interested in this project, like let me know, is I want to go and write in all of these libraries at some point, like the Gerstein Science Library or the Law Library or this, you know, like, so I just think that would be really, like a, a new way to experience our city, right? Yeah. We have all these incredible... I used to work at the E.J. Pratt Library. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it's interesting. You're thinking. You're you're making me think of how we there are institutions that maybe a lot of people connect to <laughs> in the city. For you, Donna Michelle, does it have anything to do with theaters, or am I off? Uh, when it comes to institutions in the city, or the things that sort of have meaning for you in terms of place. Um, Honestly, I'm, I have such a child mind. I'm genuinely fascinated by literally everything. So theaters not are not more prominent 
necessarily in my consciousness of the city than anywhere else. Is there anything that is that jumps out to you when you when you think of the city? Uh, sur- surprise water. Hmm. Uh, I find it really. Uh, I'm from Grenada in the West Indies, and I'm drawn to bodies of water. And Toronto's not a place we think of as a water place. Um, and then it's full of surprise water. Mm. Like sometimes you'll just like sort of, you know, like look out the window of the bus or or the train. There's that one, um, it's that that one place where the train shoots out from underground, and then you can see the river. Or like um, when you, sometimes there's like places where you're walking along, and people will be like, you know, we're like over a river right now, you know, or like the beach of Etnolan, I used to always be like, we live on a lake, we mm-hmm. live on a lake. She constantly reminds me, mm-hmm. but we don't go there and we don't look at it. So those kind of, yeah, secret water is my favorite thing, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, Evie, what does prehensile mean? A pre, I think it means like, <laughs> like a primitive amphibian, Something like that, like that. Yeah, Hannah's going like this. Ah, okay, yeah. thank you. It jumped out like at clinging, me. Clinging, mm-hmm. clinging, like like how those those green frogs. Have Do you remember that line that had a prehensile yes. in it? What was it about? It's just, actually it's a poem about my my daughter in splashing in puddles in spring, mm. and she has these little. Ever since she was a baby, she had these. She has these like flinty little webby webbed feet. So, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Um, something that I noticed uh, in in each of these, and maybe this is just what happens when we think about cities, is the characters. Um, in yours, what is it about oddity in characters that works when we're thinking about cities? Uh, so, like, like, uh, like eccentric characters. You mean? Yes, I have a sense that sometimes in our cities or the characters that make up where we live, there's a little bit of oddity, and we're very accepting of oddities when they're in our neighborhoods. Maybe we wouldn't be so accepting if we worked with that person or if we had to be with that person every day necessarily, but they help to shape where we are. So I'm wondering if you thought about oddity at all or eccentricity. It's okay. Yeah, if the I mean, I, I, I'm. It's a really, it's an interesting perspective to look at communities. Like that idea of people that are, like, it reminds me of families. There's people in my family that, they're they're lovely at Christmas and Thanksgiving. But if I had to go nine to five with them, fisticuffs. <laughs> so um, yeah, I think about people in my in in my community or in different communities I've lived in who are absolutely landmark to that community and. Uh, but in a way that is not necessarily convenient. Um, you know, like they're not, it's not, they're like, it may be inconvenient sometimes to encounter them. It may slow you down or mm-hmm. it may derail you from what you're trying to do, but it tends to be worth it. Um, yeah, because straight lines are boring and sometimes mm-hmm. you're, you've been going in a straight line and someone needs to knock you out of it. So I think those kind of things, like sometimes in the moment we may feel inconvenienced or Maybe that's too strong, strong of a negative word, but there's a woman who used to yell on the corner in in one of my old neighborhoods, like a lot, and um, I thought it was in- interesting or like it's just part of it's part of our environment. And then and then she yelled at me 
Mm. Um, and I don't know what the, the narrative was that I was folded into where I was an antagonist and I got super told off and I was like, oh, I'm, I'm not sending any more good energy to you. <laughs> and then one day she was gone and I'm like, where's the lady? <laughs> yeah. Where's the yelling? Where's the, like, is she okay? And I sort of asked around. And then, like, the people at the coffee shop knew. where They're like, oh, she's not feeling well. She's going to be for a few days with family. or what? Like, people knew because they knew each other because everyone noticed when the yelling lady was gone. And I think that's lovely. Like, that's one a way that we take care of each other is just noticing each other's presence and absence and hmm. inquiring after. I feel tangent. like, like, yeah, just to speak to LaDonna saying, like, I feel like, you know, the sort of sugar-coated thing we say is, you know, Canada's so inclusive, but we also know that that's not the whole truth either. But I, I guess it kind of reminds me of, like, New York before it was all cleaned up. Like, there is a hmm. sense of acceptance and inclusivity. I was going to say, like, all cities are like that, but all cities are not like this. You know what I mean? Like, it's still, yes, Toronto's gentrified, but it's still super gritty. You know, and it's like Donna was saying, we it's inconvenient, but you have to embrace it because you're just part of that that right. flow, right? Yeah. And all, you also have to embrace it because, like, some days I'm going to be the yelling lady. I was just exactly. going to say, it could I be. I am very close to being the yelling yeah. lady. So, yeah, I require the same patience that I, mm -hmm. you know, that I would ask I'm myself. the lady with the stroller doing groceries, mm. you know, without a baby. You're that kid. one. Yeah, I'm that one. I'm already yeah. that one. Yeah. Okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> we know each other. <laughs> okay, so I want to pull back a little bit and talk about each of your uh, actual pieces. Um, how did you go about making this piece? Because I'm thinking about the time. This is an, an, a, an interesting situation where you had a certain block of time because you got you were presented with a piece and then you had to think about it and then you had to create. So what? how did you want to approach what you were going to make? Well, my... My, it's interesting that we were paired together, um, and I think it was, it's a good, a good pairing. I, my tendency is always to go minimal. And so I started as a poet, so whenever I'm like, if you ever like put pressure on me, you know, it's like, I'll write a poem. Like, I'm not gonna write prose. So I, I, my default setting is minimalism and poetry. And again, what struck me about Hannah's piece was the moments, and I realized I was reading it, I didn't notice this before, it's all, it's all one sentence, um, so it lends itself to sort of poetry. Mm. So poetry and minimalism and moments, and then the form sort of naturally presented itself to me. Mm. Now, what, what about you? You laughed a little bit when she mentioned either. Just, I think it was. I think when she said brevity and how different we are. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, pretty verbose. <laughs> Oh, it's good though. It's like nice... it, it works out, yeah. Now, in, in your piece, you had. Were you going to say something else? Um, oh no, I was just going to jump into the question. Yeah. Um, that the uh, the piece that I was working from was uh, it's very visual and very like evocative of it of its environment, but of not just the like the literal environment, but of the feelings evoked by being in that environment. And it's um, part of what appealed to me is how it is so unlike. The way I write, I feel like I don't access um, my environment or my feelings. <laughs> two two things, and I and I got a lot of both of those things from the piece, and so that appealed to me to work with something that was far from my um, artistic strengths. Sorry, did you say that you don't access your feelings? 
Yeah, not you, so much. The, not, it, the you, joy one all day, yes. Okay. Yeah. That um, joy, joy and rage, super easy. The nuances mm. in between all that, like just I'm not as articulate <laughs> with. Um, whereas I felt that the the author of Weston was um, is more articulate than me in those realms, and so I wanted to um, challenge myself to be in relation in relationship with that um, well expressed uh, sense of place and of self. Did you say hello to the person who wrote that? I did. Okay. Just like now. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> okay. So uh, I knew that I was going to talk for a long time. We uh, have time for one question. In terms of the presentation, how is it the music inspired you to tell the story? Um, it might be, it's a little, uh, I was a little bit backwards. I, the, I brought the music into it afterwards, partly because the way that it's written is in these two voices and I wanted to be able to, you know, clearly convey sort of what, what part was, uh, what part was the original author's thoughts and what part was my thoughts in a way, but um, the music that I chose is Minecraft music because um, I'm a gamer and that sort of was kind of the, the metaphor that I entered into it through of like the, the ways that I'm isolated and, and um, yeah, so for me just sort of uh, within, within the presentation of the piece, it helped me to, to shift into a different mindset in the way that you do when you're gaming. That like world, world gone, I'm this now. Um, and contend with sort of things I have inside of me about like the, the struggle of, uh, for me, gaming and reading present a similar challenge in that I don't feel isolated, but I know that I'm seen to be isolating myself when I go into this sort of world that other people are not in with me. And then like in a weird kind of way, Minecraft is the place where you game and create and engage with other people. And so like I kind of struggle with that, um, with a tendency to isolation and the, the little ways of putting out tentacles to connect with other people that aren't necessarily valid to other people. And so like the sort of calmness of the of the music against what like, I don't know what people think I'm doing in there. I think they think I'm like raging out and fortnighting, but I'm really just like, I'm gonna build a garden and put flowers <laughs> in it. And then my mom comes, I'm gonna show her what I did and she is gonna not understand why that has value to me. <laughs> and that's fine, <laughs> and that's fine. One more, it sounds like we can have one more question. Well, I, I, I will ask the question of both uh, Mayankbat and uh, Hannah Brown. What do you think of what you heard? <laughs> I know I can tell what they think because of their smiles, but I would love to hear a word or two about... I, when I was young, my friend said if you wrote one good poem, you justified your life. So I think you have much many years ahead of you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. well, I it was, you, there were there were three moments, like, and I saw where there was a parallel. Yeah. Good. Don, Michelle, and Ebi, thank you both. Thank, thank you, you, Anna. <laughs>